0: Good morning. The scripture reading today is from John 15, 26 through sixteen fifteen. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues, Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, Sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Hello, Grace DC and friends. My name is Glenn Hoburg. I'm one of the pastors in our network, and I'm delighted to be with you for this worship service. The Christian faith teaches that there is one God, but there are three who are God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And we are studying the third person of the Godhead, God the Holy Spirit. And this week we turn to the idea of the Holy Spirit as the spirit of truth. Now, when you survey the history of philosophy and religion from Plato to Buddha, Plato to Buddha to Kant, and the list goes on, one of the things we find is truth is viewed as a gift. We see that in modern society today uh, through free press working its way in societies. Because of free press, we can keep authorities in check, We can ensure things like fair elections. We can give voice to the voiceless. But the reason free press is a gift is because truth is a gift. And yet it's a gift that's not always easy to unwrap. A gift that's hard to get to sometimes. And the reason being that there are certain messages we're given today about the truth. One is that truth is a gift so badly damaged we have to send it back. Meaning that truth is so compromised by our individual perspective or culture or gender or politics that it's impossible to actually get at the truth. Now there's a fair warning there that all of us should be self-aware, the wise are self-aware. The Proverbs say there's wisdom with many counselors. Just because you try to be objective or believe you're objective doesn't mean you are. But at the same time we understand just day-to-day as we problem-solve and transact business there is shared truth. Practically, we understand that truth is something that we can get to. But then there's another message on the opposite side, and that is the truth is determined by the individual. There's a scene in the film Twelve Years a Slave where the character Bass, played by Brad Pitt, who is a white Canadian man, is debating with the cruel slave owner about the injustice of slavery. And he says this, Laws change. Universal truths are constant. What is true and right is true and right for all, white and black alike. The truth is not just the possession of one person or one people group. And yet while our society would say amen to that quote, the idea of universal truth applying to other things like our personal finances or protection of the unborn or how we use our bodies, well, that's harder for people to receive. Another hard, uh, or rather a uh, difficulty in getting at the gift of the truth is the way that we understand facts and feelings. Today it's thought that truth actually only lives in facts, and it's not to be found in feelings. But I'll say if I've learned anything, being married for 30 years and parenting for over 20 years, is that there is a lot of truth in feelings and emotions. So truth is hard to get to, But it's also hard to hold on to. Uh, We are familiar with the phrase, the truth hurts. But it not only hurts those who have to hear it, but also those who have to speak it. And here we get to Jesus and his disciples. As they have followed Jesus, they have understood that there is a cost to the truth. Jesus has been hated. Eventually he will be killed for the truth. But in our passage, Jesus says to the disciples, as you speak the truth of the kingdom, you're going to suffer. You'll be kicked out of your church, so to speak. You'll be put in jail. You'll be beaten, even killed, by those who think they're doing God a service. Now, that's pretty scary stuff, right? But in their minds, they're thinking, well, at least Jesus will be with us. Our support and our help, the first paraclete, to use the Greek word. But now Jesus tells them he's leaving them. A few chapters before, he raised this issue, and he raises it again to remind them. And so it's no surprise that they feel sad and afraid. How are they supposed to do this mission? How are they supposed to speak the truth without Jesus there? And yet Jesus tells them there's actually a greater threat than them facing death. It's falling away from the truth. He says that in chapter 16, verse 1. That's very challenging when you think about it. You think about all the fears we have on our list. Maybe fears about our job, or our kids, or our health. But where does falling away from the truth rank on your list of fears? But for this reason, He will send the Holy Spirit another paraclete, a helping presence, And just as Jesus could support them, he will support them. And Jesus says it's actually better for him, better for them that he goes. It'll be an advantage to his disciples because the Spirit won't just be with them, he'll be in them. And not just with a few, but with many. And then Jesus goes on to tell them two ways the Spirit will be an advantage to them. He will equip and convict with the truth. So let's look at those two things together. First of all, the Spirit of God equips with the truth. Now, in Jesus' day, when people went to court, they didn't appear before a jury and a judge, just a judge. And they didn't hire a defense lawyer. They hired, or rather, they brought in a character witness. And as Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit, He's a combination of both. He's a helper, He's a support, He's a, a legal witness. But it's sort of like the combination of a lawyer, a best friend, and a soulmate. The Holy Spirit uh, is a perfect witness, not only because he can convict, but he knows Jesus fully and perfectly. Jesus tells us in the passage that all that is mine, the Holy Spirit has access to, just like all that the Father has given Jesus, uh, Jesus has access to and the Spirit has access to. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are in perfect oneness with one another. And that teaches us a few things about the truth. First of of all, the quality of the truth. Now, again, even Christians and followers of Jesus can reduce the truth to just facts about Jesus. But as the Holy Spirit knows Jesus personally, we realize that our testimony needs to include more than just outside belief in doctrine. It has to include a personal knowledge. The truth of the gospel comes through to people, not just through what you recount to them about what it says, but also as you recount your testimony and story. The second thing about the truth, we find, is uh, the source of the truth. The spirit of truth comes, Jesus says, and he will guide you into all truth. Now, we hear that word, all truth, and it raises questions. Like, uh, well, does that mean that you know, he'll give me personal insight and knowledge on what job I ought to take, or what relationship? Will he give me signs like Nicodemus wanted? I'll tell you, I've made a lot of wrong decisions in my life by just trying to pray and feel my way to the truth. But this is where context will help us. Uh, as we look at who Jesus is talking to, why he is, and what he's saying. First of all, when Jesus talks about guiding into the truth, who is he talking to? He's talking to the disciples. He's talking to the eleven that will become apostles. And it's these he will guide by his spirit into the truth. Just like the church is built upon the prophets, it will be built upon the cornerstone of the apostles as well. The next thing is the why. Why does he say that he will send the Holy Spirit? He tells us, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Why don't we teach a first grader algebra? Because they can't bear it. Jesus has been teaching them many things all along, but there's other things he has to teach them, and they're just not ready for it. And so he will send the Holy Spirit to guide them. They'll need time to reflect upon that experience. An example of this we find in the book of Acts where Jesus spends, after he has resurrected, 40 days teaching them, which becomes the content of the New Testament. And also with the Apostle Paul when he reveals his mission to the Gentiles, to the global church. And so Jesus will guide them into that. But how does that guidance take form? Well, Second Peter tells us the Holy Spirit will use those apostles and he will guide them as they personally write the Bible and oversee the writing of the New Testament. The reason why you and I can trust in the Scripture is because the Holy Spirit is its author. This is why Paul instructs one of his mentees that they should hold firm to the trustworthy word is taught, that authoritative body that comes from the disciples. Jesus finishing the New Testament with the Apostles wasn't plan B. It was always plan A. But what about this idea of all truth? Because we wonder, well, I've got the Bible. It doesn't seem to speak to every question. All truth, does that mean it's it's going to tell me uh, if aliens exist? What my dog is thinking? Well, all things that are pertinent to who Jesus is and why he came. And at that point, we might feel a little bit let down. But that's not a small list. Peter says it includes everything we need for life and godliness. The most important things the Holy Spirit will guide us through through the Scripture. Now, this is where we're challenged because the truth is, many times we're focused on things that we believe are the most important, but they're not. And the Spirit constantly, through the scriptures, reminding us, these are the things you ought to be focused upon. Jesus once, when he was counseling about worry, said, don't worry about what you'll wear and what you'll eat and all those things. I've already told you I'll provide them. But does the Spirit not guide us in decisions like what school my kids ought to go to or what job I ought to take or marry? Well, yeah, he does, throw, he does so through sanctified common sense. The Spirit works by and with the Word, including teaching we receive and counsel from other believers in prayer. But thirdly, we got to get to the focus of the truth. Jesus says that uh, the Spirit will talk about things to come, and we might naturally think, well, he's talking about the end times or heaven. But he's not talking about events that are far future, but near future, the events of Jesus' death, resurrection, and exaltation that were yet to come. The Spirit, speaking for the Father and the Son, will help the apostles. uh, And this is a quote that I think that's helpful for us. The Spirit, speaking for the Father and the Son, will help the apostles remember what Jesus said and understand the true meaning of who Jesus was and what he has accomplished. That is to say that the Spirit spotlights or glorifies Jesus. The Spirit never says, look at me. He says, look at him. And this gets to a a very important question. What does it mean to be Spirit-led? What does it mean to be growing in the truth? Well, we have a great example with the author of Hebrews. As he surveys the Old Testament and all its big figures, his conclusion is, Jesus is greater. All All of the Scripture is saying that message. And so as you and I grow in the truth, and as the Spirit guides us, Jesus ought to be looming larger and larger in our hearts and minds. And so I want to ask you a question. Do you consider yourself someone that cares about the truth? Are you passionate about the truth? There's a lot of people in Washington, D.C. that are passionate about the truth. Then I want to ask you, if you're a professing believer, how's your worship of Jesus? How does your worship of Jesus compare to your reading posts and blogs and articles do you find that your worship of Jesus is uh, more regular than that? Does the truth of Jesus, as focusing on Jesus, help you manage your anger, your frustration, your worry? After you've spent time with Jesus, does it make you want to love brothers and sisters that you have big disagreements with? To be Christ-centered isn't to be just merely doctrine-focused on Christ. It's to have the practice in my life. To be guided by the Spirit means that Jesus is transforming my heart that I might know the Father and the Son. The Spirit longs to equip you and I with the life-giving word of Christ. But he also longs to get that message to the world, which leads us to our final point. The Spirit convicts with the truth. Jesus says that the Spirit doesn't just work, among believers in the church, he'll be at work in the world. And that work can be summed up by the word conviction. Now, when we hear that, we might think of condemnation. But that's not the case because it's actually ultimately a work of grace that the Spirit's doing. As he shines the light of truth, as he pierces, his heart, pierces our hearts, his desire is to draw people to Jesus, that he might save them and not condemn them. And the Spirit of God does this conviction as he draws many people to know him. And in three different ways, Jesus talks about this. First of all, the Spirit will convict with respect to sin. Now, sin's a big word. It covers a lot of stuff. But notice in the passage, Jesus is focusing on the sin that culminates in unbelief regarding who Jesus is. One of the great works that will happen at Pentecost, when the Spirit falls, will many in the Jewish community and many from around the world at that time that didn't believe in Jesus' testimony, will come to believe in it. Maybe you've had this experience where um, you take time to get to know someone, and as you do, you realize, man, I had so many things wrong about them. I had so many biases. Well, when the Spirit does, as we take time to get to know who Jesus is, the Spirit works, and he begins to deal with our heart and our biases. And it reminds us that the truth is not just an intellectual thing. If we have a holistic view, as the Bible does, it's also a moral thing. Have you ever come to understand the truth? Have you ever um, arrived at the truth, not because you filled your head more with facts, but because you were humbled in your heart? Well, I, I would guess many of us have had that experience before. As the Spirit convicts our pride, we're able to see the truth. As he convicts us of our boasting, we're able to see the truth. As he convicts us of our judgmentalism on other people, it enables us to see the truth. So he convicts us of our unbelief ultimately so we can see Jesus. But secondly, he will convict the world of righteousness. Now Jesus says, because I go to the Father. Uh, In the Bible, guilt and death go hand in hand. So when Jesus was raised from the dead, it was vindication that he was righteous. He had no sin. But he also would compare his righteousness to the world's. He said to his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount, your righteousness must surpass that of the religious leaders and the Pharisees. And what does he mean by that? There is a false superficial righteousness that exists. It's an outward righteousness that loves to be right, but really doesn't love to love. It focuses on the letter of the law and loves to prosecute details, but misses the bigger point, the spirit of the law. It's ultimately threatened to lose its place. Truth always comes with the fruit of the spirit. Love, peace, patience. It's the wisdom from above. For us to consider ourselves righteous and lack those things means that we have a false righteousness. And so the spirit will convict the world of false righteousness. And lastly, he will convict the world of judgment. And by this, John is saying that of how the fact that the rural, ruler of the world, the father of lies, the devil, has been judged and defeated. We get a hint of this at Jesus' temptation when he defeats the enemy and doesn't take those temptations. But it's ultimately him that is the root of all falsity, the root of all lies, root of all damage that happens when the truth is obscured or hindered. And we're told that Jesus will send the Holy Spirit and he will convict the world and he will expose that those things have been judged. Shakespeare famously said, the truth will out. What it means is, uh, in our understanding, the Holy Spirit will ultimately expose the truth and the Holy Spirit will prevail. And what does this do for us? Well, if you are someone that cares about the truth and you're living for the truth of Christ and you're trying to share it, well, you get weary, don't you? You get beaten down. You get tired. Here we have assurance from the Holy Spirit that he will accomplish that task. He will finish that task. And so as Jesus gives us his Holy Spirit, he equips us with truth he does the work of conviction with regarding to truth. And then you and I can move out of sadness and fear. We'll see this change with the disciples in the book of Acts. As the Holy Spirit comes upon them, they feel empowered by the truth. They begin to see God working in the world, and it fills them with boldness. It fills them with love. It fills them with conviction. That they might be able to speak the truth. We need that today. Christians are more um, comfortable with doing the truth and doing deeds than speaking the truth. We need to have confidence, and that's what Jesus means to give us. Would you pray with me? We thank you, Lord, for the giving of the Spirit, uh, our Paraclete, the support who knows you perfectly. Would you, Lord, um, Convict of sin and righteousness and judgment that many might know you and see you. And would you as well equip your people that we might have conviction in our hearts to speak the truth in love. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.